Welcome to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. From City to the World is a show about how the work we're doing at City College matters to people across the city and throughout the world. We'll be discussing the practical applications of our research and other work in solving real-world issues like poverty, homelessness, mental health challenges, affordable housing, and disparities of all kinds. So this week, this month, we are celebrating the 100-year anniversary of the founding of City College's School of Education. And our first guest is Dr. Edwin Lamboy, and he's the interim dean of the School of Education. And he says that one of the themes of the CCNY School of Education is educating for and about diversity. And that's something we're gonna be talking about over the course of this, uh, this hour, referring to the killing of George Floyd. Dean Lamboy said, and I'm quoting here, to educate about diversity has its roots in the belief that every human being has an innate right to exist and prosper according to his or her free will and to uncover all the layers of our past, speak truth about our present and forge a better life for future generations. Um, so that's the end of his quote. To celebrate the 100 year anniversary of the School of Education, the school is hosting forums entitled Unpacking Segregation in the NYC Public Schools to promote equity, integration and justice, the having of wonderful ideas, a conversation, about Jean Piaget. It'll also host, it will host, Educating for Democracy, Transforming Public Education to Ensure High Quality Equitable Opportunities for All on March 25th. And another, uh, another forum, Schools That Promote Social Justice and Democracy, a conversation with Deborah Meyer on April 13th. So there's a whole series of, of uh, events that will be open to the public and highly informative that really focus on the mission of the City College School of Education. We're really thrilled to have the opportunity to celebrate its 100-year anniversary. In addition to Dean Lamboy today, we have Professor Catherine Franklin and Professor Beverly Falk, two professors from the School of Education, each with um, their own uh, area of expertise that we'll be talking about, and they will join us during the second half of the show. But now, uh, let me tell you a little bit more about our first guest, Dr. Edwin Lamboy. He's the author of Caribbean Spanish in the Metropolis, Spanish Language Among Cubans, Dominicans, and Puerto Ricans in New York City. And this is a book that evaluates the attitudes of people from these Caribbean islands towards Spanish and English and their linguistic skills based on uh, generation and ethnic factors. He's also the co-author of Spanish in bilingual and multilingual settings around the world and the co-editor of Spanish Across the Domains in the United States, Education, Public Space, and Social Media. Dr. Lamboy was born in Puerto Rico and he has a bachelor's degree from the Universidad de Puerto Rico, Rio Piedras, and an MED, uh, master's in education from Lehman College, and a PhD from Pennsylvania State University. He's an associate professor with the School of Education at the City College of the City University of New York. Um, he's the, he is the secondary Spanish education program director and currently serves as the interim dean for the School of Education. Dr. Lamboy, welcome to From City to the World. Thank you very much, President Boudreau. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here, and I really thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. Well, I mean, and, uh, we're really thrilled to have you, and, and also uh, really, really interested in, in making sure everybody 
knows about the 100-year anniversary of the School of Education. So you're celebrating this anniversary this year. Um, uh, the founding of CCNY School of Education. Of course, there was for several years before that, from 1906 to uh, 1921, there was a Department of Education. But I wonder if you can, reflecting back on this, can you talk about the relationship between CCNY's general uh, social mobility mission and the, and the specific role in your eyes of the School of Education? Well, first, I'd like to say that I'm extremely proud to work at an institution whose mission is to, um, to provide social mobility uh, in our city. I am extremely proud of that. Uh, the School of Education contributes in, uh, in different ways. I guess the most obvious would be the fact that we attract many students uh, who are first generation in their families and in their households to attend college. Um, these are individuals who come from all over the world, uh, whose, whose parents, whose grandparents have focused on making a living and, and transitioning to living in the United States. We also attract students from low-income communities, uh, including communities around City College. I would say that the, uh, the, School of Education, the, the School of Education's contribution is not only due to uh, the fact that attending CUNY is, is affordable, uh, but also to, to the support systems, systems that we have in place in the School of Education. For example, we have an Office of Admissions and Student Services where everyone is welcome at any time, where students can come and they could ask questions. And some of those questions are tough questions related to affordability, um, um, status, and, and we have the staff, staff that is prepared to support these students and make sure that they, that they could progress through, through our programs. We also have an incredible uh, faculty, who, many of whom are directly involved in, in advising these students. Again, making sure that our students are successful from the very beginning until the very end. Um, students, when they complete, undergraduate students, when they complete our programs, they're recommended for certification. And mm -hmm. once they, they meet other state requirements, they are able to, they qualify for empl employment almost immediately. They could start their careers almost immediately and start bettering their lives and, and the lives of their families and, and community members. Many of them end up teaching and working in, in schools in the same communities that, that they come from. So we could see there a cycle of how someone who comes from a very specific sector of society comes to City College, gets a degree, starts their career, and then goes back to their community to, to help others. And after, after they graduate, uh, we, I mean, we have a wide variety of professional certification programs so we not only serve undergraduate students, we also serve in-service teachers who come to City College, many of them, uh, many of them having completed their undergraduate, uh, undergraduate degrees at City College, they come in and they complete professional certification programs, or they want to become uh, school leaders, and they come to our educational leadership program. You, you know, it, it shouldn't be surprising to anybody that the, the history of the School of Education, the way it's approached uh, 
its subject matter, steadily addresses uh, issues of how we educate a diverse society. You know, we were a leader in the 1930s in advancing a progressive pedagogy. Around that same time, we began organizing courses that taught African-American culture and history in the education school as, as, as part of the, the work of preparing teachers. Um, so I wonder if you could talk about the specific niche the school has occupied in the realm of diversity education, why it's been so important to our community that you do this work and, and, and to the college that you did. Diversity is actually at the very center of the work that we do in, in the School of Education. Uh, for example, the main focus of our last NK accreditation was diversity. Uh, and, uh, and that was a very successful accreditation process. Also, as you mentioned earlier, diversity and teaching for and about diversity is, is one of the five themes of our conceptual framework, which informs and guides what we do in our classrooms, what we do with our students, and a lot of different aspects of the work uh, that we do in the School of Education. Also, issues related to diversity are, are addressed as students progress to our programs from the admissions interview process, where we all ask questions to make sure that students appreciate and value diversity and they see it as an advantage in the classroom to the very last courses and, and clinical experiences that they have in our programs. And mm -hmm. essentially, we see diversity as an asset in our classrooms and in schools. Um, and we're not talking just about ethnic and racial diversity. We're also talking about linguistic uh, diversity and diversity in terms of sexual orientation among public school students. And our, our main goal is for our students to see, to, to learn and to understand how they could use diversity as, as a learning tool for their students and for their, themselves actually. And, and to design learning experiences that capitalize on, on what makes our students, our public school population different and, and unique. You know, you mentioned when you, were, when you were talking about the various aspects of diversity, you mentioned linguistic diversity. And you do yourself a lot of work that concentrates on language, mostly Spanish language, in, in, in diasporic communities in, in New York and, and in the United States. We've got a very strong bilingual education program at the school. And I wonder, um, both as an expert writing from your own research, but also thinking about the program at CCNY, what are your thoughts about the relationship between language and learning in a system, a public school system anyways, that's still largely dominated by English language teaching? I mean, what do we know about the relationship between student persistence and success and either language acquisition or, or bilingual uh, education? I'm, I'm very passionate about this topic. My, my PhD is, is in Spanish linguistics, and, and again, I'm extremely passionate about this, uh, this topic. Historically, in, in the United States, by the second generation, the home language uh, is only used by speakers in very specific settings. For example, uh -huh. when they interact with family members, when they interact with, uh, with uh, childhood friends in their communities. But unfortunately, by the third generation, the home language is, is just a, a symbol of where individuals came from, right? Maybe they could recognize a few words and use a few phrases, 
but the uh, the competence and the language is not is not really there to to engage in in conversations. Um, right. If we if we look at education settings, unfortunately, um, when uh, when children who don't speak English come to our system, uh, there's sort of a rush to teach them English. Um, you may know about transitional programs, for example, programs right. in which students would would learn take a lot of English classes so that they could be with um, monolingual speakers of English in all of the uh, in all of the subject uh, areas. But what's interesting about this and about this practice is that, ironically, these students who come to the United States as children transition into English-only education. When they get to, to high school, then they have to take a foreign language. And, and in many cases, they study their own language, their home language, as a foreign language. Um, right. it's, it's a serious problem in our, in our education system. And one of the alternatives to that would be to develop courses that are uh, specifically designed for what we call heritage speakers, students who, who have confidence in the home language. And those students don't need to, don't need to learn the, the very basics Teachers who are prepared to deal with these students and to teach these students, they, they tap the skills that these students already have and they help them build their, uh, their literacy skills. Um, there are many factors that, that affect what happens with, uh, with home languages. Uh, for example, the, I would say one of the, uh, the most important ones is the home environment. We need, we need parents who understand the whole process of bilingualism and multilingualism, parents who, who encourage their children to continue using the home language and to, and to create a home environment that is, that is rich in that particular language. We also need a, a general society that values multilingualism. Unfortunately, in the United States, uh, that is not seen as, as a priority. Luckily, we've seen progress in the last in the last years. For example, in New York City, uh, now we have many dual language programs that focus on English and and another language. And these are very interesting programs. In many of them, half of the students are native speakers of English, and the other half is native speakers of another language. And teachers spend roughly 50% of the time teaching in English and the other 50%, the remaining 50% in the other language. And the results of these types of programs are fantastic. Native speakers of English learn the second language and speakers of other languages also learn English. And it's, it's a fascinating uh, process. Uh, again, we need to, we need to, we need to get our, our society to, to really understand the advantages of being bilingual in a multicultural, especially in a multicultural city like New York City. Yeah, and I imagine having, having the class divided that way so that, so that in any modality, in English or in, you know, whatever the second language is, it shifts the power dynamic among students as well, right? I mean, you, you get everybody in the class gets a chance to express their ideas in the, for at least part of the class in a language they're most comfortable with. Exactly. And you also have the opportunity to, 
to have each group support the other group. And it's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating thing to see. And uh, there, there are many studies that have been conducted about these types of, uh, of programs. And overall, they're extremely, extremely successful. So 1921. Um, the School of Education was founded, uh, the, the Department of Education becomes a full-fledged school at the moment when the Spanish flu epidemic was beginning to wind down. There's some interesting parallels between that moment and the moment we're in right now. And I wonder, you know, recalling that provokes a question about the relationship between education and recovery from the kind of fundamental national and health crisis represented by you know, the Spanish flu back 100 years ago and the COVID-19 epidemic today. What role do you expect to play as a school in, in our recovery following the, this pandemic? This is, this is an interesting question. Uh, it, it brings me back to, to March of 2020 when, uh, when, we had to, when we had to transition to, to, distance, to distance learning. Uh, during that period, our, our students, and this would probably apply to all of our students, uh, those who were student teaching, they had to stop. Uh, those who were doing field work uh, for their courses also had to stop visiting schools. So as, as we transitioned at City College to offer the way, to change the way in which we offer our, our courses, we also had to, in the School of Education, support our students who needed to continue with their clinical experiences, and we didn't know how to do it. That was a huge learning moment uh, for us. And what I would say is that now I'm, I'm happy to share with you that we've learned a huge amount about the possibilities of teaching remotely. And our, our students, pre-service uh, teachers, who will become teachers very shortly, very soon, uh, they have a much better idea of not only how to teach in person, but also they know about the tools that they can incorporate into their own teaching should anything happen, or should the way in which we deliver education change in the future again for, for whatever reason. Um, I think it's, it's very important to, to keep in mind that and you've probably heard the term learning loss. Uh, we hear it all the time. We read it in, in articles. We read it in the paper. As, as a nation, many of us are very concerned about what is going, what has happened in the last year and what is going to happen as we, uh, as schools reopen. And, and whether our students are actually prepared to, let's say, move on to the next grade, move on to the next level, or whether they need additional supports to, uh, to quote unquote, catch up. Um, and one of the things that, one of the many ways in which I think the School of Education can help is we're actually uh, planning to offer tutoring courses um, because we know for a fact that school systems will need a lot of support of people who can help students who have had a, a traumatic experience in the last year and who have not been able to, to advance academically uh, because, of, because of the pandemic. 
And also circling back to, to the issue of diversity, uh, there are some studies that, that show that the pandemic has set back learning for all students, but especially for students of color. Um, and the pandemic has widened racial disparities in our city and, and our, in our country. So I think one of the many ways in which we can, we can uh, contribute to the recovery and, and to going back to normal, whatever, whatever that is, is continue to focus on, on diversity and, and the needs of students of color in, in our education system. I mean, so we've had now about a year. You, you mentioned in passing at the start of, of, of what you were just saying, you mentioned you know, the ability to take advantage of new technologies and think about new technologies. And I know uh, at the college level, I think a lot of us just kind of went into big Zoom sessions and, and that was the acquisition of technology. And I know right. it's not that simple. I, I, I know that you know, on the one hand, there are probably deeper and more effective technologies and that the need to educate teachers about how you use technology more effectively goes hand in hand with the, with the acquisition of these new technologies. Can you give us an idea about you know, what some of these pedagogical and technological evolutions have been over the last year and, 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 and where you see them being effective? And, and I guess if I can just add on to that, you mentioned the specific deficits and needs of underrepresented uh, students, ones that have been hit particularly hard by the pandemic. How, how does questions of, of new technology interact with some of the specific needs they may be having? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not teaching any courses right now. So if I ask one of my, let's say one of our students, they will know a lot more than I currently know about different types of technologies. Uh -huh. but what I what I what I've learned from from my colleagues and from students who who attend some of the meetings and some of the events that, that the School of Education uh, organizes is that the current situation has has forced teachers and educators in general to communicate more among each other or with each other. Uh, teachers in many, in many schools, not just in the city, but I would say all, all over the country, they have had to rely on each other and learn from each other about different tools, different apps, and, and different, different strategies that, it, that they could implement in their classrooms and use in their, in their classrooms to keep students engaged, to keep students interested, um, to, to differentiate instruction, which is a very important concept uh, in, uh, for teaching. Uh, we don't teach the same way. Uh, we don't teach students the same way. We, we take into consideration their, their needs and their talents. Uh, so teachers have had to learn, just like we had to learn at City College, sort of uh, immediately. Uh, they've had to learn and they have become, they have created such fascinating and, and such great communities for sharing strategies and tools and ideas. Um, and going to the second part of, or addressing the second part of your, of your question, we're talking about students who probably live in households where there's no internet or where they don't have a, a home computer. 
Right. Uh, the the New York City DOE has has purchased uh, different devices and has tried to address that need, but unfortunately, based on uh, on on data and on on stories that we hear every day, there are certain students who have not had access to education because they don't have internet and they, or they don't have what they, what they need to be able to successfully uh, do well in their, in their classes. We've also heard about other students, many of whom come from minoritized communities where uh, their parents have lost their jobs. And these teenagers are, are spending hours working, trying to uh, support families and trying to help their parents. Those students, cannot do as well in academically as other students who come from, uh, from other types of, uh, of families. So it's, right. it's, a real, it's a real issue that hopefully we will be able to overcome as we go back to normal, as uh, more people get vaccinated, as schools reopen, as the economy recovers. Uh, teachers are really going to have to pay very close attention to, to the social and to the emotional needs of students okay. and students of all ages. You talk about the social and emotional needs, and, and you know we, we've we've had a year where most of our uh, students will, you know, all of us, in one way or another, have been isolated from one another. And and, and is right. there a way of preparing teachers and 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 the people you're training to be teachers? Is there a way of preparing them for the kind of reentry shock that people are going to have when as they get re, I guess probably re-socialized to, to living and working in, in group settings? Do, are, are we talking a lot about that these days? We are, we are, and it's, it's a very important question. I think one of, the, one of the things we do, we already do, and we have to continue doing as a school of education, is making sure that our students understand that education is, is a human endeavor. Um, mm -hmm. We're working with human beings who, specifically if we, if we think about young children, they need, they need to socialize with, with others, to discover who they are, to become who they will become, to, to test uh, concepts like boundaries and rules uh, and the same thing applies to, to, to high school students, right? Uh, we could think about the, the period of their lives they're going through, adolescence, and how important interacting with others, and again, testing who they are so they can figure out exactly who they are. It, it's extremely important. And in terms of the emotional aspect um, of this, that's directly connected with, uh, with well-being. We have all... I, I would say we have all been at times uh, not necessarily depressed, but really disturbed by what we have experienced in the last in the last year. And we have good days, and we have not so good days. So essentially, we as a school of education, again, we have to continue working on making sure that our students are first of all have an understanding of what I just said. And, and are prepared to give students the opportunity to, to grow socially and emotionally during what is going to be a very complicated 
uh, transition process. Yeah. So the formal kickoff of your um, centennial commemoration will include an address, um, a keynote address by Linda Darling Hammond. And the first thing I want to do, this is your, this is your chance to uh, advertise and invite uh, people to, <laughs> it's going to be an open uh, event, a series of, of, I think, really important discussions about education. Um, but then could you maybe tell us a little bit about who Dr. Darling Hammond is and, and why the school selected her as a lead off speaker? Linda yes. Darling Hammond is, is a stellar scholar who has written extensively on not only teacher preparation programs and uh, teacher quality and, and student achievement, uh, but she's also written a lot about how we can re-envision education and public schools. And, and that's one of the many reasons why we will have Linda with us next week on March the, the 25th. The theme of our centennial celebration is educating for democracy. And we could not think of anybody who, based on her trajectory and the work that she has done and continues to do and her scholarship uh, to, to help us, to help us uh, start fresh the next uh, 100 years. We're extremely proud of the work that we have done. We are extremely proud of the work that we, we're doing right now. But I see this as, as an opportunity for us to, to get inspiration to think about the possibilities that we have in front of us for the next 100 years. Um, and to those of us who, those of you who are listening to, to us today, I would encourage you to go to the City College School of Education website where we have uh, more information about Linda Darling Hammond and we have the link uh, where you can register this uh, this event is is going to be really refreshing as I said earlier to to get new ideas and to think about how we can reinvent ourselves uh, for the future we are also planning to to have a very open conversation after Linda's keynote so we invite everybody to to join us we're very very excited about this and and thank you president Boudreau for for your support of this event. Um, I'm really excited to bring two members of the School of Education faculty into the conversation, Professor Catherine Franklin and Professor Beverly Falk. Um, so let me tell you about the two of them in order. Professor Franklin, Professor Catherine Franklin teaches undergraduate and graduate social studies courses at CCNY. She's also a curriculum design specialist who's taught on three continents. She's the author of Civic Literacy Through Curriculum Dra Drama, grades 6 through 12. And this is a book that's designed to stimulate students' imagination in social studies by engaging them through reenacting trials, legislative sessions, and international conferences. And her goal is to help students develop critical thinking and cooperative learning skills. Professor Franklin says that educative experiences come from doing and participation within a field of study, not from the mere study about it. She received a Fulbright Scholar Grant for research and teaching abroad in 2009-2010. Um, Fulbright Scholars are selected on the basis of academic or professional achievement and demonstrated leadership potential in their field. And uh, the program's purpose is to build mutual understanding between the people of the United States and other countries. Professor Franklin is a graduate of Lesley University. He has an MA in International Education and Service there. 
and Teachers College of Columbia University, where she earned her educational doctorate. In addition to the United States, she's taught in Japan, Nepal, and Colombia. Professor Franklin will be joined by Professor Beverly Falk. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a professor and the director of the graduate programs in early childhood development. She's been a classroom teacher, child care center director, public school founder and principal, district administrator, researcher, and consultant at the school, district, state, and national levels. Since 2016, she's received close to $1 million in grants from the Foundation for Child Development for studies that identify high-quality early learning practices that are supportive of children and families from high-need immigrant and culturally or linguistically diverse communities. Videos and other resources from this work are shared on her project website, which is um, no spaces here, no capitalization, highqualityearlylearning.org. If you're interested in checking out those videos, when we post this uh, podcast on our website, we'll have this link alongside it. Uh, Dr. Falk has published over 100 articles and books, including High Quality Early Learning for a Changing World and Teaching the Way Children Learn. Professor Falk has a doctorate in education from Teachers College, Columbia University, and an MS in education from School of Education at the City College of New York in the Early Childhood Education Program, and a BA in music from Sarah Lawrence College. So Professor Falk is one of our own, and we're really pleased that she's um, stayed with us. So Professor Franklin, Professor Falk, welcome to you both. Welcome to From City to the World. Thank you. We're honored to be here. Really glad to have you both here. So I'd like to start by asking both of you in sequence to talk a little about your individual work, which, you know, for both of you is just, it's fascinating and, and, and deeply tied to the mission of the school. Uh, I wonder if you could help us, you know, both understand it a little bit and talk about how it fits into the works of the programs that you've been associated uh, with. So Dr. Franklin, um, the, the phrase that jumps out of your biography is curriculum drama. So can you tell us a little bit about how that works and, and what you see in the students when it's, when it's being used in the classroom? Of course, but I'd first like to, again, thank you very much, President Boudreau, for uh, having us talk about our work in the School of Education. Deeply appreciated. Oh, I'm really uh, grateful that you made time for this. I, I, I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, in terms of uh, curriculum drama, it's, it's this concept about uh, using a particular blueprint uh, in social studies as a way to reframe the classroom. Classrooms are places that can be these wondrous places that can, in a way, uh, be similar to the world outside, uh, but that is unique to where the children are. For example, in teaching about the United States Congress, uh, or the Senate in particular, rather than studying about it from the textbook, transform the classroom to a Senate. Rather than having 100 senators, you have 24 or 25, however many are in the class, and each student is a senator re researching their particular state, uh, and they're presenting their legislation based on their research. The classroom becomes sort of the point of reference uh, with which to then look at the society at large. 
and so it's it's a drama in that the students are uh, enacting a particular role that they themselves have constructed. I'm not giving them a role. I'm not giving them a script to follow. They are creating it based on their research, and from there they are, uh, you know, they are doing the activity of whatever the field of topic that we're studying. So in the case of the Senate, for example, the students are becoming lawmakers. And, and yes, it's a leap into the imaginary uh, uh, sphere, but in a way, they're taking it very seriously. It's, it's as though they are senators. And it's creating for them another, um, another identity that they may not have thought about <laughs> uh, as 12-year-olds, as 13-year-olds, that yes, in fact, they are communicating with their peer as, as, a, as a lawmaker, and they're deeply interested. They are uh, invigorated by the conversations that they may have about societal issues that they, are, that they are seeing. It's also a way for them to talk about the world in their own way letting the classroom be that space where, where they can confront what is happening uh, around them and to offer possibilities of, of solutions. Yeah, that's what curriculum drama is. It's a bit different from a role play in that I'm not giving them scripts, in that I'm not giving them an endpoint. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit looser, but it's, it's wonderful in that you're seeing students in the hallway talking about curriculum. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> um, Dr. Falk, um, our early childhood education program was recently ranked uh, as the number four such program in the entire country. Um, and so this is, this is something that you've uh, been associated with. You're, you're, you're the director of the master's graduate programs in early childhood development. Your own work looks at the particular early childhood needs of children from immigrant and culturally diverse families. I've heard you say something like you're supporting teachers to teach in the way that children learn. So I wonder if you could, from your research and your, and, and your work in this field, what is it that we're doing wrong in American education and in, in reaching these children, and, and how can we be better? Well, thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts and share the work that we're doing uh, in the early childhood program and across the School of Education. The work we're doing in early childhood actually resonates a lot with what Professor Franklin was just talking about. Uh, and it builds on a whole history of theories and ideas about teaching and learning that now are not just theories, but have actually been proven in fact through the study of neuroscience and neurobiology. Um, long ago, there's an ancient Chinese proverb that says, tell me, I forget, show me, I remember, involves me, I understand. Uh-huh, nice. Um, recent developments in neuroscience through um, magnetic resonance imagery shows how the brain actually is working while it's learning new things. And it is validating the theories that have been uh, developed over the years about learning is an active experiential process where learners construct new understandings based on the integration of new information with 
the knowledge they already have. And you can actually see in an MRI while a child is working with blocks or engaged in a project, you can see uh, neural connections being made in the brain. So we now know for sure that mm. learning is not telling, but it's about constructing new understandings based on experiences and taking in the new knowledge that educators provide and the experiences that educators provide to create those experiences. Mm. And what we've done particularly in the early childhood program and the work that I've done through the grants that um, I've received is to make sure that we also include understandings, not just about academic or um, cognitive learning, but that we include understandings about social and emotional development and weave that in to our educative context. Because um, again, neuroscience is showing us that the different areas of the brain that are responsible for emotional development and um, physical development and social development, they are interconnected, integrally connected with the areas in the brain that are responsible for cognitive development. So we must make sure that we're paying attention to the whole child, the whole learner, the whole person. And what that means in a diverse society that we live in today, not only in New York City, but really in the whole country and across the world, is that we pay attention to the lived experiences of our learners. And that means taking into consideration their language practices and recognizing that they're diverse and fluid and flexible, their sociocultural contexts, and viewing them as assets and valuable resources for learning, recognizing that everyone has strengths and that they have the capacity to be critical thinkers and inquirers as long as we provide the opportunities for them to do that. That's wonderful. So I'd like to, I'd like to stick with you, Professor Falk, but this is a question that I'll also ask Professor Franklin to address. I want to ask you both a question that I put in front of Dean Lamboy, which is that in some sense, the core mission of our education school has been to focus on the needs of communities like those that our students come from, communities of new Americans or working class families or linguistically and culturally diverse families. And, and, you know, you both talked about how children from these schools learn and how they need to be taught. But my question is, how are we preparing the students that come to our school who want to be teachers in these communities to be as effective as possible, you know, going out into the, the, the massively and wonderfully diverse communities that surround City College and, and pervade New York City? Um, uh, Professor Falk, can I ask you to take the first shot at, the, at answering that one? Sure. Well, we begin by making sure that the teacher candidates we have in our program are from diverse backgrounds, and that is a mission of ours. Um, in early childhood, uh, the field is predominantly um, women of color. Um, and women from different immigrant backgrounds who speak a variety of different languages. 
So what we do is we make sure that we allow those teacher learners to experience them, their own learning in our program in the same way as a model for the way we hope that they will learn to teach children. So we begin by um, valuing, acknowledging, and um, their own cultural, linguistic, uh, educational experiences and the tacit knowledge that they bring with them into the program. And by allowing lots of opportunities for them to share their different uh, cultures, their different rituals, their different experiences. We also try to teach them in the way that we want them to be teaching children. So we don't do a lot of lecturing. We do a lot of project-based work. We make sure we have a lot of materials and rich experiences, um, both in terms of field trips or virtual field trips or um, cultural experiences so that they can actually understand the value of having those experiences as part of their learning. And I think another thing that we do that I think is really important is that we want them to acknowledge their own feelings and their own understandings all the time and to see that they're to be reflective about their learning and to see that when they don't understand something or when they make what's called a mistake, that that's actually a window into their thinking and that we can use that window into their thinking to help move their thinking and their understandings forward. If they experience that with us, then they can do that better with the children whose care they've been entrusted with. Professor Franklin, can I ask you to, to address the same question? Of course. With our education courses, of, of course, they're also doing field work in various schools around the city. And uh, for that, we always encourage them uh, to not just go to the school, but instead to walk around the neighborhoods of the, of the schools where they're doing their field work. So they actually experience where the, the children are, are coming from uh, to get a sense of that. And as my colleague said, we always model the way we, we are hoping that they will be teaching. So in that vein, I also take my students around City College's campus uh, as a point of inquiry. What can we learn about the campus around us? Uh, and I take them around the block several times. What do we know about the neighborhood around City College? Many of our students have been, you know, are, they're so busy going from the subway to school, back to the subway, to home, to work. They haven't had a chance to appreciate the beautiful campus we have. So I, I'm also working with them to slow down and look around. What do you see? What is this, how does this inform you about the world and the children that you'll be teaching. I also take them on a tour of the School of Ed where I introduce them to the hardworking staff that, uh, that, that is there and as a way to also model to them, hey, pay attention to all the people who are working in the schools. Uh, make, make everybody visible. Don't just walk by 
um, security guard or, or office assistant, get to know them. It's so important to get to know all members of a school. It's one entity all working together. There are so many things that we do to prepare our students. Also very importantly is having them reflect upon what they are thinking about, how they're making connections to what we're talking about, and, um, and certainly getting to know one another from the other experiences that their peers are having in other schools. Uh, Professor Franklin, I want to stick with you for this next question. Uh, speaking still with an emphasis on the diversity of the student populations, we're training our teachers to serve and our city college students as well. Can you talk about the ways that the pandemic has imposed particular burdens on their, on their, their learning? Uh, well, certainly. Uh, many of our students uh, are, were, the, are, were the essential workers uh, that, that people would encounter at, uh, at so many places that, were, um, that, were op that are open during this pandemic. And many of them are, are living in uh, multi-generational. In addition, they are taking our courses. Um, so there's been a very much, um, you know, an intense an intensity to our classes uh, with all that they are, are facing, encountering. Uh, without, without that, you know, that beauty of being able to come to campus and to talk with each other and to support each other, it's been difficult for them. But to their credit, they've, they've persevered as they, as City College students always do. Um, they've continued to do their student teaching, even if it's, you know, in, in the remote uh, landscape. And they talk about in that context, they are still thrilled to be able to, to teach and to interact with the students. We also yeah. have students who are in class, in person, and, you know, uh, and that's obviously a, a thrill as well. So it's been, uh, you know, during this pandemic, it has certainly imposed considerable burdens on our students, but it's also been quite inspirational. And uh, they have been very much, um, you know, sharing with one another their different ways of coping with um, technology and new apps to explore with children. Um, so that has been, I've been learning so much from them uh, about that. Um, yeah, and we've also had situations where, uh, you know, our students have had to uh, head over to other countries to be with, with family members. So they're doing their Zoom uh, sessions uh, it, from Istanbul, uh, Puerto Rico, and and that's been great as well, because we've, we've been able to have insight on, on their experiences uh, while living in another country, and, and here they are taking our, our education courses in the evening. So it's been, it's been a very rich and yet also a very uh, disconcerting time. Yeah, really striking. Professor Falk, what have you seen? Well, I would echo what Professor Franklin has just described. And to add that so many of our students, um, the early childhood students in particular, have been working throughout the entire pandemic in person. 
because there is a discrepancy in our society between what people refer to as teachers and what people refer to as child care workers. And child care workers do not have the strong political clout that uh, K-12 teachers have in terms of going back to work or not. And um, they've been taking care of the children of the essential workers in person throughout the entire pandemic. Child care centers have been open, um, many of them. There are some that are still, that work in person, um, mm-hmm. I mean, virtually, but the majority of them are, um, are serving the, the essential workers, um, including at, at, in CUNY. I, my latest video in my project is a documentation of the Lehman College Early Childhood Center that's been open throughout the pandemic, serving essential workers and students. Um, but our students also are coming from um, environments where, as Professor Franklin said, many of them have been facing not only the crisis of the pandemic, but also the crisis of the economy. Many of them have family members who have lost jobs and, and they've also been facing the crisis that has evolved from the racial and social justice reckonings that have been happening all over our country. They belong to groups that are, have particularly experienced um, racial, the systemic racism of our society. And so they're experiencing a lot of trauma right. from these multiple events. And um, they are, as Professor Franklin said, heroically going about their work to continue to work and serve the children of our city, as well as to pursue their own forward progress in their career. One of the things that I found particularly effective and um, I think has helped to create a community amongst my students um, in our virtual classes is that we make sure that we are always sharing our experiences together. And I even began the school year by um, holding off on the first uh, content-based assignment. And my very first assignment was asking everybody to share something about their experience during this last year of multiple crises. And I began by sharing my own self, a poem I wrote about my experience of the pandemic and then invited them to share theirs. And it was, so emotionally powerful for us all to hear each other's experiences expressed through poetry, videos, music, uh, writings, photographs, artwork. And that was a healing experience. Um, and we also do that on purpose to model that how, how sharing and caring can be a preventative against trauma and emotional crises. Yeah, I think we probably have underestimated, but but to our great peril, the extent yeah. to which the work of, of of rehabilitating a bruised society, especially a, 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 the young portion of our society, is going to fall on on the backs uh, of teachers, and and mm-hmm. and we are going to lean very very heavily on on the the compassion and the wisdom and the attentiveness of teachers, not just to whether or not their kids are learning the lesson, but, but how they're doing and, and, and whether they're coming back into a more normal 
society um, in a way that 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 uh, is is going to uh, you know promote a, a healthy life and a strong society and all the things we hope for in in, in our young people. Um, I think if, if if nothing else, if we've heard nothing else today, uh, we've heard how how consistently and deeply the educators uh, at our school, but certainly across America, are thinking of of these things. And 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 uh, you know, this has been central to the mission and legacy of the City College School of Education. I say that in part. If you're listening to this and you're not quite sure. Um, of, of, of where your career trajectory might lead and you're trying to think about where you might go to school, give the School of Education a real thought. This is a place where, where people are thinking not just about educating young people, they're thinking about how we construct a, a fairer and more just society. And, and so I'm, I'm deeply, deeply grateful to uh, my guests today. Um, you are listening to From City to the World. Um, and again, special thanks to uh, in the first half hour, we had Dr. Edwin Lamboy, the interim dean of the School of Education at the City College of New York. And in the second half, we're blessed to have two professors from the School of Education, Professor Beverly Falk and Professor Catherine Franklin. Dean Lamboy, Professors Falk and Franklin, thank you so much for uh, being my guests on From City to the World. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, President. Allowing us to share. I learned all this at City College. It was transformative mm -hmm. in my life many, many years ago. <laughs> um, going to the City College Early Childhood Program and getting my master's degree here was what made me understand all of this. And uh, I've carried it with me for the rest of my life. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about the work that we do in the School of Education. And I also want to thank my wonderful colleagues, Professor Falk and, uh, and Professor Franklin. It's a pleasure. The show is produced by Angela Harden and yours truly, Vince Boudreaux. The production assistant is Tiffany Burt, and I am your host, Vince Boudreaux, the president of the City College of New York. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.